Here I am again, up here with a tie and shirt and looking out of place. Why is that so? Last week I blamed it on my coming back from Africa. This week I'm blaming it on my Italian mother. Every event we had to be dressed up. It's in my psyche. But uh, we really are delighted to be here. And for the guests that are here, we know some of the families have uh, grandparents here and other relatives. We really want to say we're glad you're here with us, and we're glad we can celebrate this time with you. Um, I'm going to just uh, pray uh, for the word before we get into it this morning, so just join me in prayer. Father, we just want to thank you. We thank you so much that that song we just sang is a wonderful prayer before the word of God. We would ask, Holy Spirit, you would rain down. You would pour out into our hearts the things you want us to hear through your word this morning. Lord, I want to be emptied that the spirit and the word may speak through me, and all of our hearts will be receptive to hear, to have you speak. Maybe there's conviction. Maybe there's encouragement and new hope. Maybe, Lord, as a result of that, we are being transformed ever so slightly more to the image of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We would pray for that to happen this morning as your word comes to us and as we approach the table this morning, Lord, that we would be a people who would taste and see that the Lord is good. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to be with everybody this morning. For you who are new with us, we're in the fifth week of a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, one of the things that is remarkable about the life of Jesus is that one of the things you see when you start reading through the Gospels is that Jesus was a man of prayer, that Jesus, as a man, depended in his relationship with his Father so much that before he did anything, he would pray, and God would give him wisdom or power um, the ability to, to move, even at the end when we talked about Garden of Gethsemane, to say, not my will, but your will be done. And so that's what we're looking at over these number of weeks as we look at the different petitions and take the prayer, prayer apart a little bit. And um, so it's good to remember that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray because they saw the power of prayer. And that's what we're looking at. And so I was thinking about that, and I was, I was reading a few things, and the question came up, what do people pray for? What, what do people pray for? And there was a survey done by the Public Research Institute in 2014 asking 1,000 Americans um, what, what was it that they prayed for. And you might be interested to see these results. If you could put them up, be filling out your outline uh, for the kids' church, these are some of the answers for you. So if you could put that up, that'd be great. There we go. So this is what people pray for. A thousand Americans were asked. Seventy-four percent pray for my problems. Thirty-six percent for my future prosperity. Twenty-six percent pray for their favorite sports teams. We gave that up in Philadelphia. Twenty-one percent for my winning the lottery. Fourteen percent for God to hurt someone who hurt me. And seven percent pray behind the wheel for a good parking place or no speeding ticket for me. That's one of my prayers, no speeding ticket for me. I'm still being sanctified in that area. But the, the reality is, is that as you begin looking at that, 
it's good to be taught by Jesus how to pray, right? Because Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer how we are to approach God. And uh, if you could put that diagram up, I showed this last week, but this diagram breaks it apart really well, right? So we have the Lord's Prayer broken up. Our Father in heaven, his presence, he's a father we can go to. And children, if you guys are looking at that, filling out your, uh, your uh, outline, this is where some of your answers can come. There's praise, that idea that hallowed be your name, purpose, your kingdom come, and your will be done. Like it starts out not normally how we might start out prayer by it's all about me. Prayer is all about me. But the beginning of prayer is Jesus teaches it. It's all about God. It's all about God's name. It's all about God's kingdom. It's all about God's will. It's that idea that we're glorifying God as we come to prayer. And then we move, as we're going to see this week, into the petitions about our own hearts and our own lives and our own needs and our own desires. But it starts with us approaching God. And last week we talked about that. That's exactly what the commandments do, right? Three commandments. The first three commandments are all about approaching God. And then the other ones are all about the horizontal relationships that we have. So the prayer pretty much follows that same outline. Jesus is teaching us that we first need to focus on God. And then as we focus on God, he leads us then to be willing and able to say, okay, Lord, now we're coming to you in petition with a heart that's been changed as we've come to you. So I love what Sinclair Ferguson says in the quote there. So God's glory does not detract from a person's life. Instead, his glory is the sun around which the whole of life must revolve. If there is to be the light and life of God in our experience, since we were made for his glory, we will always malfunction whenever we fail to live for that purpose and according to the maker's instructions. When it's always about me, 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 even our prayer life, uh, we will malfunction. And I know that uh, the uh, senior high and junior high have been learning the catechism. So what's the first catechism question and answer? Anybody? What's that? Anybody? What is man's chief end? Okay, so what is the answer? What's the chief end of man? Glorify God and enjoy him forever. You see, right from the get-go, it's this idea of glorifying God, and then we enjoy him forever. We glorify God, and then we enjoy him forever. And 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, sort of puts that all together, the idea of eating and drinking. Everything we do are to be for the glory of God. Everything we do, eating and drinking, everything we do is for the glory of God. And we love to compartmentalize all these things, don't we? But that's not the way God intends life to be. Everything we do brings glory to God. It's sort of that idea. So he begins the prayer that way. And um, I'm not going to have you stand for this, but let's, let's say the Lord's Prayer together. We'll use debtors rather than trespasses. I know some of you were trespasses, but we'll use debtors. Uh, and we won't do the end. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, because that's not in Scripture uh, as far as the way Jesus teaches it. But let's, let's do as we've been learning. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Amen. So we're looking at the fourth petition in the prayer. And the fourth petition in the prayer is, Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. What a wonderful way to express our need. And, and as I look at this, the first thing you see on the outline is I, I look at uh, this idea of give us an hour. It's, it's this idea that the pronouns are plural. They're not singular. And I think that's very important. The, these pronouns are plural, not singular. So there's something about that. The first three petitions are this idea of glorifying God and loving God. The last three are about loving our neighbor and loving ourselves. Like the two go together. See, in this prayer, it's if you're loving your neighbor as yourself. That's how the scripture goes. Loving your neighbor as you love yourself. So the two go together. And, and this is the way he teaches us to pray. We're praying not only for ourselves, but as we pray this prayer, we're praying for our neighbors. We, we are bringing them into this prayer because that's the heart of God, the God whose name we glorify, the God whose will we're asking that we will do. And part of that will is not to just be concerned about ourselves, but to be concerned about others. So even in this prayer, he brings this in, this beautiful picture. And I have a quote there where Peter Kreft says, with fundamentals of faith, the pronouns in the Lord's Prayer are plural, not singular. Intercessory prayer for our neighbors has no separate petition in the Lord's Prayer because all three petitions of the last half of the prayer are equally for neighbor and for self. You see, that's, that's where we're at. So what are we praying for each other? Okay, give us this day our daily bread. Now think about this for a second. And think about you're, you're, an, you're someone living in Israel. You're an Israelite. You've grown up with the Old Testament. You know the stories. What do you think will come to your mind when Jesus said daily bread? Anybody? What do you think will come to your mind? You've grown up knowing all the stories. Manna. Manna. Manna burgers. Now, that's Keith Green. Sorry. But manna. We'd be thinking manna. Why? I mean, this story was something that was in their psyche the idea of them being delivered from 400 years of slavery. And then the Red Sea is parted. And now they're in the wilderness. And what do they do? Do they rejoice? What do they do? They complain. They're just like us. They complain. Oh, why did you take us out of Egypt? Now there's no food. We're going to die out here in the wilderness. And then what happens, right? God says, I will pour out bread from heaven and he does in the camp i have a picture just to sort of give you a mind's eye of that there's the camp and all that on the ground is the manna that's come down and they're picking it up and it's interesting because we know that they could only take how many days supply of manna one day of supply and then on the weekend they took an extra day because of the sabbath right but what would happen to the food if they took extra it would spoil. And what was God teaching them? He was teaching them to depend on him day in and day out. Right? That's what he was teaching them. It's a day-to-day -day with God. I'm with you. 
You can come to me. And, and that, that's what moves us into this idea of an ongoing relationship because this idea of this day and daily bread is all about an ongoing relationship with God. It's, a, it's an actual double emphasis there. It is this day and daily. Like, so, so why is that? You know, why, why is it? It's so important to God that we have an ongoing relationship with him. Well, certainly, one of the reasons is that we all have short memories, right? You know, what is what's David saying in Psalm 103? Let us not forget your benefits. You've forgiven us. You've delivered us. You heal us. Um, but we, in, in the course of our lives and what's going on and the hard circumstances that we're all about, we begin to forget these things, right? We begin to doubt that God loves us. We, we begin to try to do it all on our own. And um, we stop talking to God who's there for us. But even more importantly, as you think about that, as our Father, He wants to hear us. He wants to be in relationship with us. Some of you have children who went to college or are in college now, uh, getting ready to go to college. And you know, when your kids are in college and you've been with them every day and now they're in college, you like to hear from them once in a while, right? I mean, I mean, I know you're away and I know you want to be independent, but you know, how about giving me a, a text every once in a while just to let me know you're alive, okay? But, but it's this idea that we want to be in relationship. Just like we as parents want to be in relationship with our children, God, who's our father, wants to be in relationship with us. He wants to hear what's on our hearts. He wants us to be able to come to him and speak to him as children. He cares for us. You know, it's, it's one of these things like sometimes um, we get this idea about God, but listen to what it says in Matthew 7, 7 to 11. And this is certainly right after Jesus is, is teaching us to pray. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. Now listen to this. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven good gifts to those who ask him? You see the heart there? That's the heart of God. It's not a stingy heart. It's not a distant heart. It's not a harsh heart. It's not a heart that needs to be convinced. It's a heart that's loving. It's a heart that's willing. It's a heart that's merciful and wants you to come and wants to give. We sometimes lose sight of that. Now, there might be different reasons why that, that happens sometimes. Sometimes our own sin can prevent us from that, right? Because of our sin, we, we feel like we're hindered. But there's, but there's forgiveness. It, all of this is there for us. It's part of the benefits that we have that God gives us so we have an ongoing relationship with him. Right? That, that's sort of this idea that he's talking about. And I love the picture in Revelation 3.10, and we just went over this not too long ago while we were, while we were looking at uh, the churches, is that he knocks at the door of our heart, and he wants us to welcome him in so that he can sup with us, so that he can have a meal with us, so he can talk to us about our day and our issues and our problems. He wants relationship with us. That's what this is all about, ongoing relationship. 
this day. And, and what is it then that we begin to pray for? Our daily bread. You see how the door opens up? Now that I know I have this loving Father, now that I know that the God of the universe loves me so much that he wants to hear, he wants to be in relationship He's the one who has all power. He can do anything he wants. There's nothing impossible for this wonderful God who calls me son and daughter. Give us our daily bread. So how many of you have a favorite bread? Anybody have a favorite bread that they like? Yeah, what is it? What kind of bread do you like? Bagels. Bagels, okay. Someone else, favorite bread? Anybody? Rye, rye bread, okay. I like rye toast with my eggs, right? Hollow bread, yes. Raisin bread. So you keep going on. Everybody has some type of favor in here. Um, well, why don't you put that, put that up? So here's a lot of types of different breads all around the world, right? Look at all that. And, that, and I love the fact that Jesus used the term bread. When he talked about bread, he was connecting with everybody. Bread is a main staple around the world. You can take that down. It's a main staple around the world. It's a basic need that he's talking about here. He's not just talking about bread, but bread stands for your basic needs and includes all of our needs like food, clothing, a home, a good job, other physical necessities, all our needs. And this is important, all our needs. But listen to this, not all our wants. See, we live in an age where advertisers want you to believe you need everything. Right? All you need to do is turn that TV on or go on your computer. All you need to do is say, I, we just found this out. We're look, we're, I think they, uh, Barb was talking with somebody on the phone, and they said, yeah, I'm really thinking I need some new furniture for my porch. And what do you think happened? Anybody? How many ads all of a sudden popped up on the computer or on the phone? What? What is going on? Advertisers are like, well, now you said that. You really need this. Look at this. Look at that. You need this. This is the type of world we live in. This is called advanced capitalism. And it's the world we live in. And so there's this idea. So when Jesus is praying about needs, he's not saying wants. There's a big difference. What we need and what we want are a big difference. God gives us what we need when we ask him. Uh, I, I heard this uh, African-American preacher one day say, all our needs, not all our greeds. I loved it. All our needs, not all our greeds. And this is the type of God that we have. So I was thinking about this, thinking, oh, you know, how many stories do we have where we felt that we needed something, we prayed about it, but it never materialized, but something else did. And then when we look back, we're like, wow, I really needed that. Thank you, Lord, for helping me because I was being foolish. That ever happened to you? Well, I was thinking about this. I was thinking, Barb and I, uh, gosh, I guess this was 1983. We had just started working with the youth at New Life. Well, at that point, it was New Life Jenkintown. And um, we were living in West Philadelphia, and we were at the point where we said, well, we need to get a starter home. It's time for us to settle in, get a starter home. 
And at that time, Olney was one of these areas where you could get a home pretty cheap, a nice little starter home, you know, get that for a few years and then see what happens. So, you know, we're praying about this and I'm thinking, well, I'm praying my need to the Lord. I'm praying, you know, the Lord is going to show me the, the house. And, and we're praying. Noth- nothing's really materialized, uh, but, you know, we're still praying. We're not in an urgent rush. Uh, and then my in-laws uh, say, can we meet with you? And Barb, we want to talk to you about something. And they had just started doing a lot more mission work. But in the household was Barb's grandmother, who at that time was 98. She lived to be 104. And her aunt, who had some, uh, had some difficulties, uh, learning difficulties and things like that. And uh, so they meet with us. And they say, listen, we were really thinking about this and praying about it. And, you know, we were just thinking, now that you're working with the youth group, and a lot of the kids live in Jenkintown and Abington and Cheltenham and all that. Wouldn't it be good if you had a house right in that area? And I'm thinking, yeah, but um, we have no money for that. And they go, no, our house. Now, the Italian independent, defiant, rebellious attitude of my heart just came right out. Now we can't really do that. No way. We've got to do it on our own. But... Um, they said, well, why don't, you, why don't you think about it? We'll pray about it. So we go home, and we t- I start praying about it, and the Spirit goes, oh, let me get this right, Ange. You're praying for something, a starter home. Well, rather than giving you a starter home, I'm giving you a six-bedroom house in the suburbs right where you're doing ministry. And you're not going to have to pay a cent for it. So tell me where the problem is here. And the problem, of course, was in my heart. Was it not? It was in my heart. And, and I, I remember saying to Barb, okay, we need to go tell him yes. Now, we, we knew it was going to be more work. We knew we were going to be taking care of grandmother. But this was an amazing thing because here's what happened. My children grew up in an intergenerational home. It was a blessing. They grew up, happened to minister to someone uh, who was a special needs person. And it gave them a heart for that. And so all these blessings, and, and I'm looking at it thinking, no way, i got to do it my way. And God says, no, I'm going to give you what you really need. This is what you really need. This is what God does as we pray. This is what the Spirit does. So we need to know that this is the way our God is. And he's really saying, listen, you need to live one day at a time. If you guys are answering this, we're, we're not to be anxious about the unknown future. And right after he speaks this prayer, he says in Matthew 6, 31 to 33, listen to what he says. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We have to keep learning that again and again and again and again, right? Satan's territory. Uh-oh, wait a second. What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen Friday? What's going to happen next week? What's going to happen next month? And all of a sudden, oh, my gosh, that's going to happen. And now I'm absolutely fearful and worried over something that doesn't even happen. It's something that Satan has put out there. And what God is saying is, bring it back one day at a time. 
I'm with you in that day. Pray in that day. Tomorrow's troubles will be tomorrow's. Today, let me be with you in that relationship. I'm going to be with you in your needs, and I'm with you in this. So I think that's this idea of the basic needs. Give us this day our daily bread. But it doesn't stop with physical things because we have spiritual needs, right? Uh, we also need spiritual nourishment. You know, when Jesus was in the wilderness and, and Satan was attacking him and he hadn't had uh, anything to eat for 40 days and 40 nights, what did he say? One of the things he says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Well, wait a second. There is another need that we have. It's a spiritual need. It's spiritual nourishment. We are just not physical beings, but we are spiritual beings. For us who have come to the Lord, our spiritual life has been renewed. We've been born again. We're alive in the spirit, and our spirit needs to be fed. It needs to be nourished. Our souls need refreshment. Our souls need encouragement, and they need strength, right? So how does that happen? Well, it's interesting that it's a part of our daily need. So as we're praying for our daily need, here, here's what Jesus says. He talks about the Holy Spirit, and here's something that we need to recognize. He says in John 14, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Whoa. In John 16, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Oh, wait, maybe there's something about this. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it's from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. There's something here about the Holy Spirit and our nourishment with the word of God and prayer. They all come together. And this amazing thing, as we come to prayer, we ask God to give us our needs. Certainly he's working in that, giving us what we need. But we also need things spiritually. And I love what he says, Luke 11, verses 11 through 13. Again, out of the context of the Lord's prayer, he goes back to the thing about the father but he adds something to it. Listen to this. Which of you fathers, if your sons ask for a fish, will give them a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give them a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give, listen to this, the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Our daily need is to have the Holy Spirit unleashed and at work in our hearts. The Holy Spirit brings us truth. The Holy Spirit brings us knowledge. The Holy Spirit empowers us to do things we wouldn't do. The Holy Spirit reveals God's love to us. I mean, we can go on. The Holy Spirit brings fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. You see what's going on here, right? So as we pray for our daily needs, we are praying for that bread, which is all of those necessities, but we're also praying for the Holy Spirit to be alive in our hearts, to nourishing our souls. I love what my father-in-law, Jack Miller, says in Saving Grace. Ask for the gift of the Spirit for specific things. Ask for fellowship. Ask for the spirit of wisdom and love. Ask for his control and grace to abandon your own desire for control. Abandon the search for your own bread. Admit that you don't have it. 
If you never ask for the Spirit, you're going to be pretty hungry. Remember, the Holy Spirit is our daily bread. Brothers and sisters, we pray for these things, the Holy Spirit. So there's the physical and there is the spiritual nourishment. But here's the thing. As we are praying this way, and remember, we're praying in the plural. So we're praying for our neighbors as ourselves. The Spirit begins to draw out of us a little bit more than maybe we even bargained for because as you begin praying that way, God's heart is now being opened in us and being revealed in us, and we begin to pray. As you, if you take this out and begin praying, and all of a sudden you find yourself praying a bit differently, you begin thinking about people in the world who are hungry. You begin to think about the poor. You begin, your heart begins to open up, and we're encouraged by the Holy Spirit to participate in his kingdom work of feeding the hungry. God uses his sons and daughters as an answer to this prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. We are part of the answer as we step into people's lives who don't have food, people who are poor, people who are in poverty, people who are oppressed. And we begin to do that. Gandhi says this, earth provides enough food to satisfy every person's needs, but not every person's greed. The Spirit of God begins to move us away from that. So certainly we've experienced that in this congregation. We have done food relief in Eswatini. When the pandemic started and when there was a drought, we've done food relief. So much so that the government gave our missionary Mick one of the only permits during the time of the pandemic to be able to go out of the city and into all the villages to supply food for them. He was one of the few people in all of Eswatini who was able to do that because God had led us to give, and in giving, food was then supplied, and people who were starving received food and saw blessing from God. Now, that's an answer to give us this day our daily bread. We did the same thing in the city with small things. And what did God do? He took it from this small little organization that was doing, I think it was uh, 1,000 meals on Easter, and today we've been given a warehouse. Amazon is giving us all kinds of stuff. I think the total of food that's been given out so far this year is like eight tons of food in the city. Give us this day our daily bread. We reach out into people's lives. This is what God does. And as we do this, we're dispensing the fragrance of God, okay? There's no better way of saying it. We become the aroma of Christ. That's what we become. Because we've been filled and as we've been filled, it's like the perfume bottle being broken up by the seal, and now it flows out of us, and it begins to bring this fragrance of Christ wherever it might go. Uh, I, see, I see someone who helped us in West Philadelphia. What happened there on the street in West Philadelphia? We saw a holy place in the middle of that neighborhood. We saw people coming out of their homes. We saw people praising the Lord. We saw people stopping by. There was no sense that we were in danger at all because the Spirit was there. It's because the fragrance of Christ was being exuded as those of us who were being filled up 
we're then able to give to others who are in need. Give us this day our daily bread. And so we come to the end of the sermon today. And we come to looking at the bread of life, right? John 6, starting at verse 32. Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. If you could just put that picture up of the IMs, that'd be great. Jesus is all of that. When he says he's the bread of life, he's the true vine. He is the light of the world. He is the good shepherd. This is who Jesus is. He's the resurrection and the life. All of this to us. This is who Jesus is. And as we think about this, I just um, I want to share a story. And some of you have heard me share this before, but I think it's really good to end with this as we think about it. There's a story about World War II. I think there was like about, oh, I don't know, 80,000 orphans or something were at, throughout Europe, and uh, they were bringing them together because nobody knew where their parents were, if their parents were alive, whatever. And they were in the orphanages, and these, these children were getting, they were getting food for the first time for, in a long while. And, you know, they were very hungry, and they were eating all this food. And, um, and yet, they were really struggling with sleeping. And, um, you know, so much of there was these fears and things were going on. And then one, one, one night somebody noticed that all of a sudden there wasn't this nightmares and people being up and everything, and they were wondering what had, what, how it happened. And it just so happened that the kids began and made a decision on their own that they were going to keep a piece of bread and they were going to bring it to bed with them. And it meant that they were going to have food for the next day. And because of that, they could sleep. And when I think about that story, I think about our God. I think about Jesus being the bread of life. That when we have Jesus, we don't need anything else. And that's how we pray. Give us this day our daily bread. We don't need it. We are orphans apart from Christ. But he told us in John 14, no longer are you orphans because you have me. We have the bread of life. And we're headed to a banquet table. We're headed to a feast, right? We're headed. It tells us in Revelation 19, listen to this. Hallelujah. For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. The fine linen stands for the righteousness of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Hallelujah. We will be forever in a place where we will eat at the table with the bread of life himself. We will be with him forever. We will never again be hungry. We will never again be fearful. We will never again grieve. We will never again cry. We will be with the bread of life. Hallelujah.
give us this day our daily bread. And isn't this an appropriate time to come to the communion table? I, just, I was thinking about this this weekend, thinking about our young people coming to the communion table for the first time. What a wonderful Sunday for you to be coming to the communion table. We're so delighted that you're going to be joining your families and joining the church family and coming to the table. Because what is this? But it's a meal of faith. Jesus, as, as Josh read out, Jesus instituted this on the night before he died. And when he did that, he said, I look forward to this meal, and I look forward to the time I'll be eating this meal again with you in heaven. And so here we are, and God has given us this communion. He's given us this ability now to come, to come and to remember. See, we forget our benefits, do we not? We hear that today? But we remember when we come to this table, we remember the love of God through Jesus Christ. We remember we have not been left orphans. We remember that we needed a mediator and a high priest and a savior, and the only one who could do that was Jesus himself. And we remember that he came, and when he lived this earth, as he teaches us in this prayer, he was sinless. He was always in relationship with the Father. He was pleased. It was his food to do the Father's will. And as he did that, he approached the garden in Gethsemane, knowing and beginning to realize the full weight of the cup that he was carrying. And yet he still said, not my will, but your will be done. And we're here today because of that. This table tells us how much he loves us, that he would die for us, that in dying, he was the perfect sacrifice, that on the cross, he took our sins, he took our afflictions, he brought healing and forgiveness and reconciliation with God, he brought adoption as sons and daughters, and he will bring glory. That's us coming to the communion table. But remember that this table isn't just looking back. It's very present right here. That's what the Holy Spirit is all about. That's what we were looking at as we prayed that the Holy Spirit would be with us. Like right now, the Spirit is speaking this truth to each one of our hearts. And that, that truth is becoming more real as we look at it, that we now know in the depths of our being who we are in Christ. We now know that we, no matter what we're carrying right now, no matter what burden we're carrying right now, no matter what sin we're carrying right now, we can bring it to God. We can bring it to the blood of Christ, and it will be forgiven. And in that forgiveness, the Holy Spirit will be unleashed in us to give us the joy of our salvation, to remind us of who we are, and to bring us to the table with a new set uh, in our heart, with a new refreshment to our souls. But it doesn't end here. It ends with us looking forward. This table says, look forward. Look to the time when you will be with the Lord, that when he appears, you're going to be like him. And at that time, we will be a part of the wedding supper of the Lamb for all eternity. Can I hear an amen? That's what this table is all about today as you come. Now, there might be somebody in this room, and you've heard this message, and you're like, I really, my heart is sort of burning because 
I want to know this Jesus. I want to come to this Jesus. I've never come to Jesus. I've never asked him for forgiveness. I've never told him that I've been in rebellion. I've never told him that I need him. And if you're somebody here today that's never happened to, the Spirit's speaking to you right now, and while others are taking communion because it's a meal of faith, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Bring your heart to Jesus. And if you're struggling with how to do that, come and talk with me afterwards or talk with somebody that you know. And the next time we have this meal, you'll come in faith. But if you're not someone of faith right now, the meal's not for you, so don't come to the meal. But for all of us who are, there is a time now for our hearts to come to him. This is the moment where you bring your heart. And I I always say this because I think sometimes Satan has a way of making you think that because you have a pattern sin, maybe you have an addiction, maybe there's something going on, that you can't be forgiven. That is a lie. That's a lie from the pit of hell. When you ask for forgiveness, he forgives you. And he wants you to have this meal of faith for your faith to be strengthened. So all you need to do, no matter what that is, is in this moment, this quiet time, bring your heart to God. Bring your burdens, bring your sins. Bring those things that you want to bring to the Lord and leave them at the cross so that you will approach this table. You will do it as someone who's been freed and unleashed with the Holy Spirit in your heart. So take some time now before.